We are parents, we are doctors, we are first responders, teachers, and concerned citizens who have found ourselves at a crossroads. We see our freedoms being stripped away and we can no longer stay silent. We are millions strong, united in a thundering voice and imperative mission that cannot and will not be ignored. We are standing up for the basic human right to raise our own children, earn a living, and make our own medical decisions without the tyrannical overreach that has been forced upon us here in California, across the country, and around the world. We are here to amplify the voices, moving the needle, bringing forth truth, and provide education and resources with tangible tools and expert insights. We are The Unity Project, and this is our podcast. I am so thrilled today to be joined by someone that I have been following for quite some time. And uh, the first time I actually saw this woman was an interview with uh, Candace Owens. And I say woman, by the way, very intentionally, because you are a woman, right? And And we can, at some point, we can even dive into the definition of what a woman is if you want to have some fun today. But I'm thrilled to welcome Katie Hopkins to the Unity Project's What's Up podcast today. Uh, For those of you that don't know Katie, her story is one that I don't even know that I could personally do justice because I probably don't know all of your story. I've seen it um, in interviews. So I I, want to turn it over to you and maybe introduce yourself. Oh, bless your heart. Well, um, thank you for having me on your podcast and uh, and hello to all your lovely listeners or viewers. I um, am glad that you explained to people that I'm a woman because uh, I think it helps. <laughs> there was a time there where some people will know this, but uh, so there's a book that I wrote early on called um, Rude. And at that time I had some major, major surgery on my head. And so I had short hair mm-hmm. and uh, that short hair, I because of the way we all are in our, on our side, which is pretty much right, that's it. I dyed it white blonde. So I had white short hair and I used to do like speeches and things at conservative Mm -hmm. conferences. And I used to say, oh, I'm Milo's mum, because that's essentially (laughs) what I look like. And for Americans in particular and others, it was very confusing that I maybe I'm a lesbian footballer because of your whole football team, the the soccer (laughs) team that looked that way. Or maybe I am actually Milo's mum. But now. Now people see me more as a woman. So that's good. Yes. My name is Katie Hopkins. And, and you I look very, wo- you look very feminine. You do look like a woman. It's oh, pretty it's, obvious. It's the, it's the lighting, my love. But uh, I describe myself as a straight, white, Christian, conservative, nationalist, patriot. Uh, and I'm proud to be all of those things. And I suppose I'm best known as being the most banned woman on the planet because I've been banned from all of the usual things like PayPal, my own bank account, um, all the usual stuff. But then also I've been banned from entire countries. So I've been banned from South Africa by the ANC for reporting on uh, white farmers being slaughtered from their lands. And I've just been banned and deported from Australia uh, for being there during lockdown and speaking out against the tyranny of the government there. So so I'm known for, for, for being problematic to governments. That is incredibly impressive, I have to tell you. I'm a little <laughs> bit jealous. I'm only banned from United Airlines, so clearly oh. I've got a lot of work to do. You've got work <laughs> to do, girlfriend. You need to just kind of scale it up. You need to scale it up. Clearly, clearly. I think you've reached a whole new level when there are multiple countries on different continents that have banned you. That's impressive. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, I'm very proud. 
And, and of course we're, we're, we're making light of this and bringing a little bit of levity to the, the asinine nature of what we're talking about. But the reality is the cold hard facts are that you're talking about basic, um, truths that are happening. You're trying to bring to light things that are horrific, that are being committed against the, the human population. And this is why you're being banned. This is why you're being shut down. Exactly. And, and. And my tactics have had to change accordingly in order to try and maintain an ability to communicate with anybody that wants to join our side. And by our side, I mean the side that just wants everyone to be as free as they can be and to be absolutely okay and to think what they want. So um, I, my tactics uh, in the earlier phases and still now is to be on the road. So to throw myself on the road to get in front of the problem. So sleeping on the farms in South Africa with the white farmers to show what happens when these black gangs come Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, being on the uh, shoreline of the Mediterranean while the Africans come over in their inflatable dinghies, standing there and showing it firsthand. And that's why I became so problematic because not only was I telling the truth, I was showing the truth. And and at that point I had to really be got rid of and I was in quite a significant way. Right, because you're dangerous, right? You are dangerous because you are are revealing to the public things that um, governments and pharmaceutical companies and the media, have all colluded together to perpetrate on the human population. Um, most recently, you said you were you were walked out of Australia because of the, or, or banned and, and deported out of Australia uh, because of the lockdowns and, and, and talking about that. I mean, I've always said, look, we are no longer living in a free society, a sovereign society, when we are not able to move about freely in our own communities, we, are, we have no ability to engage in informed medical decisions on behalf of our children. We no longer have the ability to make sure that our children are educated in a, in a free, transparent nature. I mean, this is getting, um, it, we passed the point of dangerous, I think years ago. Yes, absolutely. And, I, uh, and, and that's why it, the, the words actually cancel culture uh, mm-hmm. It kind of, but uh, they worry me. They're troublesome, and I, I think they're a deliberate um, vocabulary that's been placed on us because it's so much bigger than that. You of know, course. when you're being deported from countries for speech, that right. isn't just cancel. It's not just sort of an erasing of an idea or a deletion right. of a tweet. Or when you're being, you know, in my country, speaking truth is now hate speech, and as a result, it's an arrestable offence. I've been arrested multiple times for speech and um, interviewed under caution with a view to trying to put me into prison. So it is exactly that it has become much more dark than anybody is really permitted to even talk about. But I think the great thing is that so many people are increasingly understanding that. Sure. And so many people like us have, have gone a step outwards away from mainstream media that won't have us or tolerate us. And we're right. becoming you know, our audiences are much bigger, much um, more loyal, much more inquiring. Uh, and we're building a vast army of, of, of great people who just want the best of each other. And that's, and that's a really positive thing. 
Well, I think people that um, potentially in the past would have been um, reticent to even get involved because it's maybe not their nature. I think they're finally starting to realize that that might not be an option. You might have to, at at some point, make a decision um, as to how you're going to get involved because sitting on the sidelines is just not going to be acceptable anymore. Um, I think I saw something that was in Britain, there was a woman, I believe, I believe it was in Britain, a woman that was praying quietly in front of um, an abortion clinic and the police arrested her. And one of the things that they said was, are you praying? Is that correct? Do you remember this? Yes. And we we have multiple instances Mm -hmm. of that happening. We had a a street preacher just just quietly praying from a Bible on a street corner. Mm -hmm. Same thing, arrested for hate speech and also for um, upsetting, they they have a particular phrase, uh, causing disturbance to local communities. And what they mean by that is the Muslim population of the UK, which is rapidly becoming the demographic majority. Mm -hmm. It's upsetting that community. Uh, And so for example, when they banned uh, Brittany, um, I forget her last name, from the UK, they banned her. She was making her way to the UK for a rally. And they, Pettibone, that's right. Um, they banned her on the basis of future hate speech, as yet unsaid, that might upset local communities. So in the UK, it's possible for people to be banned from entry on the basis of future hate speech, as right. yet unsaid. You know, that's the level of darkness we're at. Which is insane. Um, and, and as as an American citizen, a proud American citizen, that sounds outlandish to me. Yeah. But sadly, you know, here in the United States, we have the Constitution, we have uh, due process, innocent until proven guilty concepts. But unfortunately, uh, I know I'm going back and kind of reflecting on uh, an interview that you had done with Candace Owens, and you you started this interview by talking about how you had some original warning signs and you didn't want this um, to to come over to the United States. You didn't want this, these ideologies and this radicalness to come into the United States and to seep into our systems. And Mm. those words are kind of playing in my mind because here we are, those were your warnings, right? And here we are, I believe that interview, correct me if I'm wrong, has to have been at least two years ago now, potentially. Yeah, potentially quite a bit more. Um, yes. So, so yeah, about a decade, I guess I've been now, uh, you know, I started off in the British military, went through the Royal Military Academy, Sandhurst, uh, but I became kind of like known or a face on TV and media and then really very well known at about, I guess, about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So about 10 years ago, I began this sort of, warrior journey across America to warn, exactly as you say, uh, don't become like us, don't fall as we have fallen, because as things stand, um, we are already becoming a minority. In most major cities, I'm a minority as a white Christian. Demographically, the Muslim population is now greater than the white Christian population. The first name in the UK, boy's name is Mohammed, and the second most popular boy's name in the UK is Mohammed. And this isn't problematic in and of itself. It's not just a random attack on a Muslim population. It's just that we right. are no more. And, right. and it's trying to warn across to the states that mm-hmm. so once you have truth is hate speech, that mm-hmm. will come to you. And of course, 
that's how the trajectory has gone. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I now spend a lot of time here uh, reminding Americans that we are with them and, and that even though you can't hear us because you're not allowed to, mm -hmm. you know, 20 million, 30 million decent Brits do still are standing right with America and cheering you on. And, and you are, despite everything that's going on in America and how dark it can feel, America still is the shining light on the hill. And, and that mm -hmm. is a real truth for me because you have your faith and, mm -hmm. and you have weapons. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that, is a, that is always a glorious thing for me. Any day where I'm feeling a little you know, beaten up, I just remind myself that I believe right now in America, sure. uh, there is a bigger a civilian militia than at any time in modern history. And that's a very reassuring right. thing. It, it is. Um, are you referring to the weapons that President Biden threatened the American yeah. people with? The, the, oh. Those weapons? <laughs> just, uh, I just, I love when I'm out and about, you know, in places, I don't know, really out the way places and, and groups of guys and women tell me, you know, every time Biden says something stupid, we go out and we buy another weapon. And I'm like, Yes, this is good because right. he says something well, stupid on a daily basis. <laughs> for sure, he's going to be uh, nominated as the number one sales sales rep for arms, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, but sure. you're right. I mean, we I've always said I still believe this country is the greatest country that has ever existed. I still I'm incredibly patriotic. I still very much believe that this is the most opportunity giving country. Um, I still very much uh, believe in the constitution and the principles that this country was founded on. And yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's troubling though, because I feel like we are on the cusp of something going really horribly wrong or potentially recapturing what this country, what made this country so great. And I see it uh, because we do a lot of work as it relates, obviously to the, the pediatric population where we're addressing parental rights and what's terrifying to me is these campaigns that we're seeing, you know, LAUSD um, has new curriculum and what they're doing as young as five years old, they are introducing radical gender ideology to children as young as five, because they're in kindergarten. And there, there's written documentation showing that teachers are instructed to keep secret from the parents of these children. I mean, I look back and I think when I was a child, if, if an adult said to me, we, let's keep this a secret between us and not tell your parents. I, I mean, as young as I can have my first thought, I remember I would have known that's a red flag. That's one of the base basic kind of tenets that you learn in childhood is that any, any adult, any person in position of authority telling you to keep secret something from your parents, that's something that's clearly wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and we, we have the same madness um, over our side of the pond. So in our schools, uh, young children can transition and uh, parents don't have to be informed. Parents don't have to be even told. So there was a, an example of a lady. She wrote to me. She went mm -hmm. to a school um, parents evening. I don't know what you call that here, but, but where you go along and you hear about how your yeah. child's doing. Back to school and night. Yeah, and she found out then that her child had transitioned and no one had ever told her or involved her in the decision. So so that same thing happening. Uh, but, you know, I feel like what's been so amazing, particularly in America, as I've, I've traveled about the place, um, speaking to local groups, is that massive uprising of school parents getting involved, the endless footages of, yeah. 
of school board meetings and people standing to be on the school board. And I just love that there was this kind of, kind of, I don't know, visceral kind of roar from the parents screeching back yes. that this is not okay. Mm -hmm. And that's really glorious. And then I think at the level of the family, so many of us are working hard to make sure our kids are aware of what's going right. on, wanting them to make their own choices, but at the same time, trying to put them onto paths that mm -hmm. they'll get the opportunity to make their own choices. So right. none of my, so a really weird thing in one generation, you know, I went to university, it was very much the thing, you know, something to be proud of. My parents were proud, blah, blah, blah. My children, I have three, they're 18, huh? 17 and 14. None of them are planning to go to university. And, and I am so thrilled about that. And that's happened in one generation. Yeah. Where the question is where, what is that next step? Because there's really nowhere that you can go. I mean, there's a, there's a few schools that are probably still um, like Liberty and I think Hillsdale and several others that are probably still very good. William Jessup, I think is one of them, but beyond that, there is, it is just an indoctrination camp. And even if you send a child to a, a university going in and having them be very conservative in nature, you've raised them in a conservative way. At some point when you're immersed in this environment and you're so paralyzed because you can't say anything because your peer groups will ostracize you, your professors will ostracize you, you will be academically um, punished. There'll be punitive consequences for you speaking out. At some point that actually has to, um, I think, change the, the human psyche, right? It really can, I, and I say it's almost soul sucking for uh, someone who's who's entering into these university systems. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, the, the thing that sometimes we forget or, or we can't quite get our heads around because it's so crazy is mm -hmm. I was speaking just the other day on a, on a podcast to one of the climate protesters in the UK. And over there, it's very fashionable to like break into art galleries. Well, I actually think these people are enabled and, you know, throw or gra put graffiti on it's the disgusting. artwork. Yeah, or glue it's themselves disgusting. to a Van Gogh. So I was speaking mm -hmm. to uh, one of the ladies, young people that did that. So she's the one oh. that glued herself to the Van Gogh. And, oh, and her and her friend, who have never paid a bill in their lives, whose parents pay for them to be at university and exactly the sort of people, uh, that rarefied atmosphere of mm -hmm. never having to know what reality is. They, uh, when I was challenging them, they absolutely believe with all their soul that, that they will not live beyond another few years because the mm -hmm. climate emergency means everybody's gonna die. And they believe that like with every inch of their soul. So your point is completely correct. And well, and it's why mine, I just want them, you know, mine are all, well, my 18 and 17 year olds are straight into kind of work. So uh, sure. my, my middle daughter's a farmer. She's going to be she's working on a farm. Well, she about, so it's right. I've always, stuff. that's right. That's the best way, right? I've always said, if you can take um, someone and teach them how to run a business, that's yeah. a better education than you'll probably ever get at a university. Yeah. But, but interestingly enough, kind of going back to what you said, they, they, they wholeheartedly believe this, yes, you know, 100%. um, they, they really do. Right. It's, it's, but it's a tactic. So we're living in a state right now of, of just constant barrage of fear and, you know, in the United States, and I, and I want to talk about what's happening in Britain, but in the United States, uh, Biden just extended the state of emergency again. I think you probably heard about this, I'm assuming. And yes. He's extended it for another, I believe, 90 days. State of California, yeah. we we have a state of emergency. In addition to the federal 
level state of emergency. We have one in California as it relates to COVID through February, right? We're it, that it, after three years of doing this, it's no longer a state of emergency. I mean, in, in terms of colloquial definitions, it's really just a state of living at this point. But but going back to kind of climate change, we're living in a time where we're we're being told you have to be afraid because you're going to drop dead from a pandemic. You're going to drop dead because you're either going to freeze to death and we don't have enough resources to uh, allow you to, to be able to turn the heater on in your home. Or conversely, you're going, to, you're going to die of heat exhaustion and we don't have enough resources to allow you to turn the air conditioning <laughs> on. I mean, it's one or the other, right? Yeah. Um, you're, there's going to be food shortages. I mean, if, you, if, if the pandemic um, fear mongering isn't working, then go down and, and, and there's a litany of, of other things that as human beings, we should be living in a state of fear over. But the reality is um, if you strip back and, and you're able to, to kind of push away the white noise around this and, and, and the uh, narrative, you realize we actually are living in a time when we, we have access a, to a tremendous amount of resources. I know it's somewhat controversial to talk about, but it, but you know, nuclear energy is probably the cleanest and most efficient form of energy, um, we, which is available to, to everyone. Uh, we have we, here in the United States, and I know in Britain, you've got clean water. You've got, you probably have access to a tremendous amount of food resources. Uh, we know that the pandemic was an absolute, uh, it was one of the biggest scams committed on, on the, the human population, but yet um, these children, and I call them children because th th we're talking about human beings that really have not ever been put in an environment or given training on how to be productive, contributing members of society. What they've been trained is to just live in a state of fear, right? Yeah. And I, and I think, um, you know, that's partly why it's glorious being on our side because we're able many of us are able to walk without fear mm -hmm. um certainly for me at a personal level because over the decades you know when the powerful uh, the gathering of the darkness as i would call it which is heads of churches mm -hmm. heads of the jewish faith heads of charities government heads have come together to uh get rid of me um you know they take things one thing at a time so they took my jobs first um they came from my family home i had to sell my family home with litigation they made up new laws for warfare against me uh they came for my kids so they would report the the um those people who were being used to kind of silence me would report my children um to social services that i was an abusive oh mother um and then a couple of jihadis came and made an attempt at uh, beheading me in my home and I think wow the, the thing about that no it's it's sort of just a statement of fact but I is that when they take everything from you and, and I say this in a sort of a an example for people that feel that they're desperate to hold on to stuff you know I need to hold on to my job I need to hold on to my marriage I need to hold on to my home and of course that's so understandable sure. but the glorious thing about being freed from those things is that you are pretty much unstoppable and and to your point about the extreme emergency and extending the emergency you mm -hmm. know biden did just extended right. the vaccine mandate i'm not as things stand and it, and people think i'm making this up but currently as things stand unvaccinated people are still not allowed into the united states of america right. and he just extended that it was due to finish in february 
he's now pushed it out until mm -hmm. April. So, so there's mothers who haven't been able to visit their sons or their grandchildren in America. That's right. And, and, uh, and my personal belief, and I've said this openly, it, you know, I have no moral obligation to follow fabricated rules made up by someone who is an irrational human. So that's my personal view. And so I still uh, come to America and I do this in a challenging way to the authorities. So I come uh, through Mexico because <laughs> if, and, and I talk about it, I have stood on stages and said, lock me up because right. if they can all come, I'm do you cross do the border? Through, I come, yes, I have friends in California. I come the same way <laughs> as illegals. And I'm not allowed to be here right now. And so bring it. Bring it on. Well, well I mean, I gosh, there's what. so much that we can talk about. So it, it is irrational, but it's also not irrational why, why he's extended the state of emergency. He knows darn well why he's extending the state of emergency. Yes. He's doing it because... If he were not to extend the state of emergency and we are all of a sudden going back to, you know, previous state before the pandemic, right, then no longer can they have the uh, COVID-19 vaccines being deployed into the human population here in the United States of America. It's being done so under an emergency use authorization. And in order to do that, it has, we have to be in a state of emergency. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the impetus for them continuing to push and push and push. Uh, but it's interesting what you're saying about the border. You know, uh, I had a conversation with a, a teenager the other day and, you know, she said, oh, I have a friend at school and they think that, that uh, you know, voter ID is something that is, that's, it's racist because a lot of people that are coming here illegally should be able to vote. And I said, well, that's a very interesting statement. <laughs> and, and I said, I want you to, and, and I challenged this, this young person to think for a moment. And I said, if the United States of America has no borders, we have no borders, then we have no country. If you have no country, then you have no infrastructure. You, know, you have no systems. You have no rule of law. You just simply have a mass of land where people are allowed to engage in total, total chaos right? How do you, how do you apply the rule of law? How do you adjudicate things that are, that are wrong? How do you, um, how do you have regulatory acts, which, um, you know, I think it's no secret that I'm a conservative that being said, um, you know, I, I tend to believe that there are certain aspects of society. Of course we have to have regulations on. And, um, it, it was interesting to watch the expression of this, this young lady, because you could kind of see the, the wheels turning, but this is not what they're taught in school. They're taught that uh, voter ID is racist, that people who are legal immigrants um, should be given all kinds of uh, benefits, that they should be allowed to, to vote, which is always interesting to me because when you say illegal immigrant, the word preceding immigrant, illegal, yeah, <laughs> should yeah. say everything we need to know about whether or not that person warrants benefits. Well, I, I feel like, you know, now that I'm an illegal in your fine country, you know, I should have been given medical care. I should have definitely been given a free phone. I possibly should have even voted. And I've had well, none of that. So I'm pretty that, sure that you're entitled to that. <laughs> so you better go that's out and get yourself. Right there. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally see. And, and having spent time at the border, uh, on farms with ranchers. Uh, I mean, it's just, when you're there in person, it's something else to witness and to witness 
the religious organizations, the Catholic Charities Commission and others absolutely working hand in glove to bring these people into America. Uh, it makes you realize, you know, people talk about slavery as something from the past, but tell you what, the movement of human flesh is one of the most profitable industries there is. And the reason that those borders are allowed to be open like that is because people at the very top of the chain in government, in media and in churches and in other faiths are making a ton of cash out sure. of this new form of moving human flesh for right. sure. And I've seen it. Um, and, and I think to your point about law, um, one of the things our side typically and historically loved to imagine was we loved the idea of democracy <laughs> and we sure. wanted that to be real. And which is why that last election was so devastating because we want to believe in democracy it matters and the other thing we want to believe in and it still exists here in America but it doesn't in the UK if you're awake is the idea I used to say the law's the law because my father used to say it the law is the law the law isn't the law in my country it's whatever the powerful need to happen to the person they need to get rid of and and we saw that in America with January the 6th you know the fact that those boys and women are still uh, in jail is, is an absolute, it, it messes with your mind to see that. I was there on January the 6th as well. And I, I, it messes with your mind when you think, wait a minute, the law can be manipulated right. to be used for, as an arm of, of government. Right. And that, well, these things are bigger than us, you know? Sure. And it, we're seeing it in a lot of areas here in the United States. I mean, uh, if you look at the last three years, people, I, I would say to everyone, people would say, is it possible that this could be happening? And I would say we're living it, right? We're living the fact that in the United States of America and even in, in California, which is where, where we're based, um, in California, we saw thousands of people denied a religious belief exemption. Yeah. They were not in those, in being denied and going all through all the way through the court system, those, those particular instances, they were not following the rule of law. Uh, we now have, uh, I believe it's, oh gosh, I think it's two, uh, SB 207 uh, that basically names California as a sanctuary state for gender mutilation and here, genital, excuse me, mutilation and gender mutilation. Um, and, and the reason that it's unconstitutional is because you can bring a child from another state you can have them engage in this type of quote unquote gender affirming care. And then the aspect of this particular piece of legislation is that there could be a consequence where, where parents lose custody of their children. Well, now you're talking about reaching across state lines. California doesn't have the power to do that. Uh, but yet here we are with this piece of legislation. We also have AB 2098, which is a piece of legislation that says, any doctor that goes against the COVID narrative will lose their license. So now we're infringing on First Amendment rights and we're infringing upon, you know, the Hippocratic Oath. I mean, there, there, there's so many things that are happening uh, and, we're, and we're seeing it, I think, alive and well in California. It's starting to migrate yeah. across the country, but. Yeah, you, you really are. And, um, and I think one of the things, uh, you know, traveling through California, through lockdowns and, and giving people reasons to gather, you know, I appeared in people's backyards, wherever we could gather uh, at a time when you weren't allowed. One of the things that was upsetting, and it is awkward to talk about because uh, none of us want to speak badly about faith, 
But one of the things that was so disheartening in California was seeing synagogues and churches or pastors that shut down their churches or their synagogues or their places of worship. And then one of the things that was so uplifting uh, was to see pastors that refused. So Pastor yes. Tim Thompson, uh, yes. you know, just outside of Redlands, kept his church open the whole time. Obviously, it meant at some point he was raided. I think at one point his wife was arrested. The stuff that you talk of, but it was so uplifting to see those people who stood with us. Right. Um, and, and I think that's the other great thing as well is, is when you push people, we always knew we would be pushed and the darkness would come. Mm -hmm. And we always knew we had to get very close to it and closer still we have to go uh, before things would turn. But because the darkness is coming so close and things are so radically being altered in, in every way from gender to law. Um, you see people with a new steely determination that I just love, you know, just before that last election when we knew Trump was going to win 2020, you'll know that, that there was, you could not buy weapons or ammunition anywhere, particularly not in California, because people knew that when Trump won, the other side were gonna burn America down. Right. Beverly Hills, people in the places where they knew the left were going to go crazy, were frightened out of their lives because they knew, and Portland, you know, they knew the left were going to go wild. And when the Biden win was manipulated, it was the only thing that really saved those places from being burned right. down. Right, right. So we see the darkness coming, but it means that people are so ready. One lady told me, you know what, if they come, um, they can come but they will not leave my property. She's like, I'm a grandmother now. I've got grandchildren. I've had my right. life. They right. will not leave my land. And that to me, that's the sort of biblical level of sure. thought that we are being brought to. And I'm so all about it. You can imagine. Well, I mean, gosh, think about like, we would see these images in Australia of them going door to door and rounding people up and forcibly injecting them. And similar to that, that woman that you were just saying, they, they will, they can come, but they will not leave my property. I remember saying, if they come to my door and they think they're going to take my children and forcibly vaccinate them, well, it will probably be over, you know, pretty quick. it won't go down well for them. It won't go, you know, I'm, I'm not going to stand idly by and allow someone to physically harm my child. And exactly. And that's the key is that that's the point it gets to where people are like, OK, then I've done. I'm, I'm OK with my life. I've, I'm you know, I rest easy with my life. It's over. And, mm -hmm. and and so I'll fight this down now. And that's what I really that is very, very strong. It's so strong mm -hmm. through so many states yeah. of America. I think it's such a powerful thing. And, and to what you're saying, I was there in Australia when they rounded the kids up at schools and they put them on buses from school and took them to sports stadia to inject them with the military supervising. So no parents allowed working on peer pressure, injecting kids with the military watching. And because oh like which kid, you know, for a kid, like anyone's child, it doesn't matter if it's my child, yours, who, for them to be the only one in class where all their mates are going, you're the bad guy, you know, so, and that, that happened. And, and it, isn't it a mad thing to say that that happened in our that, life? That happened here. That happens here. We didn't do it under the watchful eye of the military, 
but we do, we do have things called vaccine bans and they would pull up to schools and they would line kids up and they would vaccinate them. And we have a strategic partner who in California represents three separate families who had kids that were vaccinated without their parent knowledge or consent. And the kids are now vaccine injured. It's a tra tragic stories. Um, so, so you, you know, here in the United States, we may see that and we may think, wow, that's incredible. I can't believe what they're, what we're seeing. Sadly, we're, it's not that far-fetched for something like that to be able to happen here in the United States. And, you know, going back to what you were saying about the, the, the faith-based organizations and the churches, and we saw a lot, a lot of faith-based leaders fall into place um, and shut their churches down, shut their places of worship down. But, but we've interviewed several, I call them warriors that did keep their churches open. And I've asked them quite often, what is it that's happening in the faith community? Because if you're a pastor, if you're a priest, if you're a rabbi, um, you're, you should be led by, by God. You should not be led by the government. And I think some of the, the two, the two biggest, um, issues that we've had in here in the United States is when you're dealing with a medical crisis, there's two leaders in your life that you count on. You count on your faith-based leader and you count on your medical practitioner. And unfortunately, in both of those areas, we've seen a lot of, of failure uh, for, for the American people and, and really for the global community. Absolutely. It right. and, and what's distressing about that, apart from all that's distressing about it is that so many individuals who are employed on the basis of principle or faith or you know medical expertise or and, and have signed to say that they will never do you know they will do no harm were willing if not to speak out but were willing to stay silent in order to self-preserve mm -hmm. and it is always that self-preservation that is the best weapon that those who wish to hurt us have. Mm -hmm. And it's why they use people like me back in the day to make an example of, you know, look at her, look what we did. She lost everything. Oh, she's a laughing right. stock now. She has nothing. She, she doesn't even have a house. And uh, so the lesson is you be quiet. I wanted to just, uh, on the point about vaccine industry, in, uh, injury, sorry. So we have something called the Office of National Statistics. It's the dullest agency there is. They literally <laughs> statistics. I would rather kill myself than ever meet anybody that worked for something called the Office. Just so we're clear, if I was ever to sit next to one of these people at a wedding, I would absolutely leave. But let me just tell you something interesting. 9,517 deaths were registered in England and Wales, so that's our bit in the week ending 30th of December, so, so not that long ago, a few weeks ago, 20.1% above the five-year average. Mm -hmm. So our excess deaths, and that term, I don't know if you have the same, but it just means right. deaths that are greater than the number that you would expect in a day from old right. age or disease. Mm -hmm. These are numbers that are unexpected. 9,500 unexpected deaths in mm -hmm. a week. 20% higher than any of the last five right. years. And still the medical profession is saying nothing. Nothing. We, you know, here we, uh, we've been working with a gentleman named Ed Dowd. We just did a Twitter spaces event with him. Are you familiar with Ed? I don't he, know that he, I am, but I don't want to say no. Fantastic. 
he does, he, he's actually an invest, former investment banker, but um, he's been doing a lot of data analytics and he got him some hands on some actuarial uh, information from life insurance companies. And look, we know that all cause mortality in the 18 to 65 year range is, um, is up by 40%. It's, it's, it, they've never seen numbers like this. I mean, if you do life insurance studies, they predict, you know, an, an uh, uptick of 10 to 20% is like a one in 200 year event. And they don't know what to do with this, this excess mortality of, of 40%. It's, it's outrageous. And we're seeing all these professional athletes that have died, but going to your point of, of they don't care. I always say it, there's a lot of telltale signs that this is not about public health and safety. Um, first and foremost, it does not prevent the acquisition and transmission of, of the virus. So it's not about public health and safety. This, the vaccine that is, and I, and I'm, and I'm, generously saying this is a vaccine. This is not a vaccine. It's, it's a gene therapy, but, um, for sake of this conversation, we'll go along with it and we'll call it a COVID-19 vaccine. If you get the vaccine, it does not prevent you from acquiring or transmitting the COVID-19 virus. So that's not about public health and safety. Um, you know, I, I was in, I went to the doctor. I have a, a heart condition. I've had five heart procedures. I've been on every kind of cardiac medication, um, and if I go into a cardiac arrhythmia, it can be a life-threatening situation and it's not an easy process. It's not like if I go into an arrhythmia, someone just gives me a pill and I recover. I actually have to have my heart stopped and restarted again. It's, it's a, it's a very traumatic event. And this is not something that is performed in a doctor's office. It has to be done, um, in a, in a hospital setting where you have people that are familiar with cardiac care. I went to the doctor, um, for, for just a benign situation. I wasn't, had nothing to do with, with COVID. And I was told that I had to put my mask on. And so I said, no, I'm sorry. I can't. I, a, I can't because there's no, there's no, in fact, there's, there's scientific evidence that now proves that there's dangers around wearing masks for prolonged periods of time. Um, but there's certainly no efficacy in preventing human disease transmission by wearing some, you know, uh, 10 cent mask that you get off of Amazon. And they let me sit in the waiting room for over 30 minutes without a mask on. Right. So, so that tells me right there, this is not about public health and safety. If this were a scenario, like it was Ebola and I'm spewing body fluids they would immediately have a hazmat team come in and remove me from that area. Oh, I, I don't think I don't think there's any disagreement, certainly not on our side with anything you're saying. But I think we've we've moved way past those arguments because we are in agreement that we appreciate that this was a state injectable and that definitely hasn't been beneficial. But I think now we're at the point of saying, well, how long can the medical community hold their silence? You know, how long can we have a we have a charity called the British Heart Foundation, right? You know, right. how long can they stay right. silent? And and it's a really strange thing. How long can everybody hold their tongues for whilst the rest of us and, and good people and doctors that are with us are hammering home the fact that right. people are dying suddenly? And sure. at some point, surely someone's got to be talking about this, but but we see the media complicit again. The media is complicit, the, yeah. the medical community, you know, going back to that scenario, I said to the nurse, cause she came running out 30 minutes later and said, you better put your mask on. And I said, I'm sorry. I mean, you have my medical records in front of you. You can see that I actually have a diagnosed heart condition 
And if I wear a mask for a prolonged period of time, I run the risk of going into a cardiac arrhythmia. And I said, I just want to ask you a question is, are you more concerned about me going through the exercise of putting the mask on? Because that is what the sign on the door says, or are you concerned about my health and my safety? I have to imagine you took an oath. I have to imagine you're, you're compassionate about other human beings because you chose a career that is very rooted in caring for other human beings. And she literally looked at me and said, I don't have to sit here and put up with this abuse. I'm going to call security to which I said, please do. I'd be happy to have a conversation with them as well. I mean, threatening to call security does not frighten me at all. Um, but, but the whole exercise was bizarre because again, you have someone who is a nurse. I've seen doctors go through this. At what point does, do we start to apply critical thinking? Um, it, it's, 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 it's insane to me. And then, you know, of course we continue to, um, push vaccines in the pediatric population. It's, it's outrageous. You know, here in California, we're facing the the possibility of children not being able to go to public or private school without, uh, being vaccinated for COVID-19. I don't know. Are you guys and, going through that in, in Britain? Yeah. And, and bold choices have to be made. You know, I, I, I have heard so many people say, oh, well, you know, I took it because I needed to fly. I needed to go to a wedding. I needed to. And, and it's so hard because, A, I want to welcome those people to our side because, mm -hmm. to my mind, it doesn't matter if you took this stuff or didn't. If you want to come join us and you want everyone to be okay, come join. Like, yeah. we're not trying to keep anybody out. We're not trying to be the ones that segregate right. people. Right. But it is upsetting to see people fold so easily. And of course, right. if your child's supposed to have that, no, you're not going to send them to the school. Bring them home. Don't let them. But but we have to be bold in our decision making. We have to own our own choices, you know, and we have to be able to walk without fear. And when we do those things, we are free from all of this nonsense that we're surrounded by. I think what's what's sort of incredible and and I think, well, two things we haven't had time to talk about much in our worlds, which is number one, you would never have believed as a kid, right, that you would live through this time. Never. You would never. never have believed this could happen in our lifetime, right? Never. And in never. some ways I'm like, but this is the time. If there was ever a time to be alive, this is it because the fight is on. So I feel that way. And then the other thing I feel for many, many, many people, and you see them still with their masks on and looking mm -hmm. scared, and is that is that lockdown was like a mass in like a mass kind of um pain event you know like a mass harm event sure, like a, like sure. a pile up on a freeway or car sure. and the only thing is people didn't have like wounds to show right but sure. so many people are carrying injuries of lockdown and the upset and they're being left out mm -hmm. and being having children not speak to you and being refused from your synagogue or your church people mm -hmm. are carrying this stuff and I think you can sure. I feel like you can feel it you know when you meet people of course I, you can and I, when I do my little, if I do stand up or comedy or whatever, sometimes when people have been laughing, the next thing they do is cry because everybody needs to let some of this stuff go. And, uh, and, and that's part of what I think we, we do when we're trying to get people together, either to listen or in, yeah. in groups of people is to remind right. people that, that you're not on your own and, and right. that we are so many. Um, right. And when we stick together, you know, we are super, super powerful.
Um, and that's one of the messages I try and spread when I'm here, uh, particularly in the States. Well, and I love what you said too, because what we do at the Unity Project is about bringing people together, bringing organizations that are fighting in this fight together. Um, but also we're very mindful not to engage in the rhetoric, right? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had people attack us and say, say awful things. Um, yeah. And it's on a very, it's a very personal petty level. We, we tend not to respond to that because our mission is not to um, go down a road where we're making fun of someone um, exactly. saying, you know, what's wrong with you? How could you not see this? Yeah. Our mission is about changing what's happening. And we very much recognize that this is a crime that's been committed on the human population. We're all victims of this. And what breaks my heart is to see the, in particular, the adolescent um, community, the suicide rate, the depression um, is, it's gut-wrenching what these, these teenagers have gone through um, in, a, in a very important developmental time in their life, a time that would almost, it's almost difficult to recreate. And oh, there's so, so many cute. important milestones that need to be met that they were deprived of. So I agree with you. I was saying to someone in a bar, the other night in Nashville, uh, which is yeah. incredibly exciting all round. But I, um, I, you know, I, I'm so, and I, I mean this, I don't mean this as selfishly as it sounds, but I am so happy I got to be like a teenager in the 80s, right? At a time between uh, the phones even being, you know, everybody having a phone and before the internet, a time when you used to go out to meet people yes. and, and chat and do ter make terrible mistakes, you know, and wake up where you shouldn't and, and run, a I ran over a car once. Who does that <laughs> criminal behavior? But I was a kid and, and I, I'm so happy for that time. And if I had one thing, it would be to allow every kid to go through that time and be as free as we were, or at least I was back then without, right. phones were bad enough in terms of making everything a policeable, a video right. event. But with what they've had to go through, uh, my heart goes out. And I think actually our audiences um, are so much younger than people would give credit. You know, people would think, well, which teenagers are going to be listening to some conservative women banging on? But actually <laughs> the kids are listening because a lot of them do find hope in, in what we're trying to do. I agree. And I Not think that... I totally agree. And, you know, I, even my own kids, like they'll, they'll see stuff on the eighties and they say, mom, is that what, what you, it was like when you grew yeah. up and, you know, occasionally though, it'll be like the 1930s and they'll say, is that what it was like? And yeah, I, say, I know. That old. Right. I know. <laughs> it's, so true. But, it's so true. But it's so true. I mean, they see this and they, it's almost like kind of innately, they know that what's happening right now is so contrived and not uh reality and that they long and they long for that um, simple uh, ability to to just be a teenager and go through teenage milestones and make mistakes and laugh about it and learn from it. Um, but but that has been robbed of you know they have been robbed of that, and not only they've been robbed of this, but they've been damaged so deeply. Um, some of them, some, some teenagers, you know, I, I hope that, they, that it's not irreparable. You know, I'm looking at statistics now. They said that, um, I, I read a statistic probably, I don't know, six months ago now 
that babies that were born during during the pandemic, they expect that those those infants and toddlers and 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 really probably up until you're about 10, that they're experiencing an IQ drop of 10 points. That's wild. I mean, that that's the difference between someone who's an average functioning person or someone who's potentially experiencing a learning disability or you know something that is that that will impact them irreparably yeah it's it you know it's it's such a strange thing i want if if someone said to me you know what uh where do you want to get to in life the the old age thing for me is not aspirational at all like not in any way so a day when physically i'm less able i'm not interested in it but i am absolutely interested in trying to rectify some of this stuff for kids yes. uh, mm-hmm. and make it so they can feel alive again. And that, mm-hmm. and that might not happen in my lifetime, but I think because of the fight that we're all in, you know, it may just be that we have to, I used to run, but um, maybe that we just have to carry the baton whilst we're here, you yeah. know, and then we can pass it over to the next one. And that's fine with me too. Right. Because I will say um, for as much as it's dark and as much as we see that, this darkness is 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 growing and you know died recently died suddenly is is everywhere Mm -hmm. I truly believe that good does win and truth wins in the end and I also truly believe and this is unique to America uh that America is different than every other country that I've either been to or been deported or banned from (laughs) (laughs) is that there is something innately different about Americans because you have freedom somehow hardwired into your very souls. And I know that the place that will keep the torch of hope alive is America. And I see that every time you gather and downtown Nashville is a great example. I mean, yes, there's drunkness and chaos and terrible things (laughs) happening in glittery boots, but people have this determination to be together in the most human way. Right. And, and that's why America, you know, I would always ask Americans to, to just remember or be reassured that you should be so proud um, of your great nation because it is still the greatest nation on the face of the planet. I'm certain of that. Right. Well, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I find it to be incredibly refreshing coming from someone who had to sneak through our Southern border to be here today. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Katie. How can people follow the work that you're doing? How can we help support you? Bless you. Thank you very much. Well, uh, if anybody would like to be good enough to just go onto um, our website that, that my husband just, uh, ma- we managed to keep this one up. Who, who knew? <laughs> uh, but So it's my name, Katie, uh, Katie's Arms. Uh, so Katie's Arms, A-R-M-S. And, and the reason for the name is that every Friday I run a kind of online pub. And the idea is that people come along, we have a drink together. And I've done it all through lockdown just to try and keep people going. And we're about 30,000 strong now, all pretending we're in a pub together on a oh Friday my gosh. night. So, but Katie, K-I- I'll be there. K-T-I-E-S, A-R-M-S dot com. If you go there, you just click on, and it's just me and my husband, so you won't get sent anything dastardly. And uh, and I can keep in touch with people about where I am. And, and if you're in Nashville, uh, I will be at Zany's Comedy Club uh, performing stand-up on uh, the 23rd. So do come to Zany's oh. and, uh, and I'll see you there. 
Oh, I'm so sad not to be able to be there. Oh my gosh. And we're <laughs> going to send you one of our sweatshirts. I'm wearing this right now today because we're all shadow banned, right? We're yeah. all banned, uh, but we're going to all find a way to, to use our voice, to use our platform somehow to get this message out. So uh, we'll send you one of our sweatshirts because I think it would Thank be fun. Thank you very much. I need, I, had, I need one. I need one that says deported. Uh, right. Hunted. Supported illegal immigrant shadow ban. We'll come up with one for you. It's gonna, it's gonna be. Um, it probably won't have anything but logos on it, but uh, our statements. But I am gonna join on Friday night. That's very cool. I love that uh, yeah. idea. It's, it's a nice thing. It's a fun thing, and it's essentially just laughing at me and my horrendous attempts to make it through life as a middle-aged menopausal old bag. So, uh, uh, you know, you know, it's all, it's all out I'm there, right there with you. Yeah. What we well, need, right. Thank, thank, thank God you. for people like you. We, the <laughs> world needs more people like you. I'm, it's been so much fun getting to finally meet you. Like I said, I followed your work and um, everyone who listens to this podcast, please, please follow what Katie, Katie Hopkins is doing. She's an amazing oh. warrior. And I think you will go down in history as one of the people that has saved this, this world has changed what's happening. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And next time I'm um, in California, I'll come find you guys and we can hang out. Yeah, that'd be amazing. We'll, we'll smuggle you across the border. From all of us at the Unity Project, thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope to continue producing content that amplifies voices, strategies, and resources. Please keep in mind that the Unity Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that relies on the contributions of our generous supporters to fuel the work we do in this movement. If you value our efforts, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution today by visiting our website at www.unityproject.com and clicking the donate button. We very much appreciate your continued support and confidence, without which our work wouldn't be possible.